Hi, hello, welcome. This is the first episode of The Fascinating World of Fungi with Lacey Roberts. My story with fungi started when I was young. I was blessed with a wildly strong imagination. Mushrooms were a focal point for the unlimited stories told by the forest while growing up in the Pacific Northwest. Looking at their strange morphologies, learning about which is poisonous and which is not while foraging, and then eventually understanding their massive role as decomposers, my curiosity was spurred along by these incredible organisms. I feel like the more I discover about fungi, and that's fungi, fungi, and fungi, the more I feel like I know nothing. These incredible organisms are still vastly unexplored, with only about 1% of all estimated fungi species having been identified. That's about 70,000 out of 5.1 million projected species, and they outnumber plants 6 to 1. They predate dinosaurs, they can make zombies, they can be found in space, they're used in medicine, and are part of the process to make wine, beer, cheese, and bread, while they are impressively adaptive and they can be utterly terrifying at times. These organisms may in fact hold the key to solve our global consumption and climate change issues. These magical organisms are now believed to be the predecessors from the oceans that are responsible for helping the plant community thrive on land and give our planet the lush green land we know. Our Marilia ostei, the name that I am probably butchering, is aptly named the humongous fungus. It's located in Oregon and holds the title for being the world's largest organism at 9.1 squared kilometers. Fungi, in fact, are so abundant that the average human is suspected of inhaling approximately 10 spores per breath. Depending on the area, the air may contain 1 to 10,000 spores. This is possible because a single mushroom is capable of producing billions to trillions of spores in its lifetime. Fortunately, due to our endothermic nature, entering through our respiratory systems, for the most part, gives them an uninhabitable environment due to our thermal exclusionary zone. This means that our internal temperature is too high for the majority of fungi to survive. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, let's get back to the basics. The common mushroom you buy in the grocery store, like cremini, shiitake, portobello, etc., is a fungus. However, it is a part of the fungus known as the fruiting body, which in fact is more or less the reproductive organ. The fungus itself actually exists in the intercellular space, or air pockets, of the soil in a webbing network of mycelium. The mycelium is really the brains of the operation, and I say brains loosely because what we define as a brain, the fungus doesn't seem to have. But the mycelium is comprised of single-cell hyphal strands, these are known as hyphae, that navigate through the soil to collect nutrients. The method in which the hyphae grow is called the steady-state model and can be likened to that of building a skyscraper. The Spencer Corper is the building site manager of the hyphal tip. It determines which vesicles, motor proteins, and filaments go where to expand the hyphal tip and then determine the directionality it will grow in. This is all in order to obtain more nutrients. Using insane amounts of pressure at the hyphal tip, they can fracture rocks to access stores of phosphorus and other nutrients. These nutrients, along with secondary metabolites that the fungus produce, are used in a commodity trade with plants for carbon, which is different forms of sugar that the plant make. Because fungi are non-photosynthetic, they lack the ability that their photochemotrope, aka plant partners, have in order to be able to fix their own carbon source from light energy. 
This creates a symbiotic relationship between the fungus and plants, as they need each other to survive and both benefit from the relationship. The mycelium interacts with the plants by attaching to their roots, effectively working as a treating post and an extension of the plant's original root system. Fungi that participate in this relationship are known as mycorrhizal fungi, being further defined by endo or ectomycorrhizal, referring to whether the fungus penetrates the roots or simply sheaths them. Yet you may have noticed that I didn't say all fungi partake in this. More specifically, plants require the assistance that fungi provide to them because they are static, non-motile, and aren't readily fertilized, so the soil around them can become nutrient-depleted. However, the fungus gets to decide who it will trade with, meaning the plants are generalist in that they'll take any fungal relationship offered to them, while the fungi are specialists and only want to trade with certain plants. Eugenia Bone describes in her book Mycophilia that the fungi work as an immune system for the plants, supplying them with defensive toxins and shuttling them nutrients, while they take on another role with trees as their digestive tract. This is a beautiful analogy and lends to the idea of how interconnected the forest really is. The relationship between mycelium isn't as black and white as it may seem when I talk about this. Fungi have been known to be connected to multiple trees and or plants of the same species, of different species, or to even be connected to other fungi of the same or different species. So you can have one fungus connected to five plants that's then connected to another fungal species that's then connected to five more plants and on and on, forming what is endearingly termed the wood wide web beneath the soil. Research continues to back this idea that the forest has an interwoven connectivity through the soil. Instances have been monitored where one plant was suffering from a herbivory attack and was able to produce distress signals via the mycelium connection to warn nearby plants. In turn, these plants increased their defense toxin levels to stave off the herbivory attack that was impending. In another case, using a fungal network, older plants were able to secrete toxic chemicals to competitive species to kill them. This effectively made sure that there would be room for their offspring to grow successfully. It appears that there is a light and dark side of the fungal force. Don't worry, we'll discuss more of this in later episodes. So, the fungi get their nutrients from the soil and their symbiotic relationship, but what happens when there isn't any more left in an area? As I mentioned before, the hyphal tips of mycelium are extractors, and their ability to grow allows them to continue searching for nutrients. But there comes a time when there is too dense of a rock or a geographical obstacle like a river or a cliff that gets in the way, or simply they run into a competitor. What happens then? When the fungi sense that the nutrients aren't being as readily available, it triggers a morphological response. The response indicates that there is the need to reproduce in order to ensure the continuation of itself via its offspring. And that is when you have the budding of fruiting bodies. These are the mushrooms we know and love. There are so many different morphologies of this organism, but the purpose of each is an attempt at being the most efficient for spore dispersal. Let's take our classic toadstool mushroom for example. It has a stem, which we refer to as a stipe, and a cap, which is known as a pileus. The purpose of the stipe is to lift the mushroom off the ground, protecting it from ground-dwelling predation, while the cap, or pileus, works as a shield and protects the spore from vertical assault. The cap's underside contains gills. These are responsible for holding onto the spores until such time they are released. The gills are numerous, in an effort to increase the surface area for maximum efficiency of spore dispersal. Now, depending on the species, depends on the triggering event in which the spores are released. Agitation or disruption tend to be the most common mechanisms that signal time for release. One species I learned about in a mycology class has been determined to alter the temperature around the underside of its gills. 
for what is believed to be an attempt to alter the air currents around it for a greater spore dispersal. Typically, when spores are dropped from the gills, they are taken up by air current because they are incredibly light and they have been found to travel significant distances. However, only a small percentage of the spores released, if any at all, will be successful at colonizing a new area, hence why they make so many in an attempt to increase their odds. But there are other fungi that have evolved to use different mechanisms for spore dispersal based on their surroundings. For example, chytrids, a type of fungi that lives in the water, have motile spurs that have flagellum that allow them to move with direction through their medium, much like the human male gametes. Other fungi produce their spores in a slime to keep them moist and release them during a heavy rainfall for easier transportation. Some have evolved to form mutualistic or even parasitic relationships with insects or animals and use their locomotion as a form of dispersal. It seems no matter the obstacle, fungi have found a way to make it work. No wonder there's so many species. So, I hope the next time you're at the grocery store, when you pick up a mushroom, you'll take a moment and you'll consider the stipe and the pileus. Maybe you'll brush your gills with a finger. Or maybe next time, when you're enjoying eating mushrooms, you'll think about how many plants that mushroom has communicated with. Because it turns out that only mycorrhizal fungi are the ones that have fruiting bodies. Until next time, keep thinking about the fascinating world of fungi and what exists beneath your feet. At the end of my show, I have a brief section of acknowledgements. First, I want to thank CPAWS for giving me this platform and supporting me in their CWSP program. I also want to thank Jamie Townsend for being my editor. And I want to thank everyone along the mycology journey that I've had that has helped inspire me and my content in the creation of this podcast. Happy listening! Happy listening!